Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. What we think while we move matters. And great coaches by chance or choice inevitably get to vocabulary that make learning how to move easier. Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff, and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. Welcome to The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root of the matter. In this episode, we speak to Nick Winkleman, Head of Athletic Performance and Science at the Irish Rugby Football Union and author of The Language of Coaching, the Art of the Art and Science of Teaching Movement. Focusing on how coaches can affect training outcomes, we're going to cut to the root on what is meant by cueing. Nick, are you ready for the knife? I thought I was until you explained what we're going to do today, but let's give it a go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what is meant by cueing? Cueing at the end of the day are little breadcrumbs. Right? They're little hints to help close the gap between what a player or an athlete is currently able to do from a movement perspective and what they'd like to do. I think of it a lot like a headlight or an address that you put in a GPS. It gives the athlete a general direction of travel to take them from where they are to where they want to be. And in this case, we're talking about cueing for movement. So literally what you think while you move a cue from a coach's perspective is meant to so, so influence that, hopefully think, for the better. So, so we can think while we move. So I can think I am going to do this and then I move. How does that work? Well, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna play with synonyms here and we got to grab the one we like the most. But here we're talking about focus, hmm. what you put your attention, what you put your focus on. And in that regard, some people might use the word thinking. Some people might use the word focus. Some people might use the word attention. But ultimately, it's what you are placing your mental energy on while you move. That's what we are trying to influence with a coaching cue. So an example would be? Bingo. So let's imagine you're in Vegas, right? You see, let's make a bet. You walk in. And you're like, okay, what's this make a bet about? I'm in Vegas. I'm looking to spend some money. You see a track to the right side. And you're like, okay, I'm a bit athletic. Let's give this a go. You walk up to the attendant. The attendant says, really simple. Here's a card with three different coaching cues. You're going to read each of these coaching cues. And you're going to make a bet on which coaching cue you think is going to let you run the fastest 10-meter time. You're like, okay, I used to do track and field. Let's give it a go. So you read the first cue. And the first cue says, focus on rapidly extending your legs. Like, okay, I'm running my legs. Okay, rapidly extending my legs. Like, okay, got it. Okay, the next cue, focus on rapidly pushing the ground back. Okay, it's kind of similar to the first one, but pushing the ground back, running hard, pushing the ground back. Okay, I got that. And then you read the third cue. Imagine there's a rattlesnake right behind you. Beat the bite, beat the bite. You're like, geez, I do not like snakes, right? I've, I've, I've steered clear to the jungle my whole life. Beat the bite, beat the bite, sprint fast. Got it. Which one do you bet on? So Dan, for you, you heard the three. Extend the legs, push the ground, beat the bite. Which do you bet on to run the fastest 10-meter time? Well, I think that uh, the answer is probably going to be the third one, though the second one does sound more attractive. The first one absolutely uh, sounds too complicated for me. Okay. 
Bingo. And so guess what? Over 23 years of evidence would say if you pick B or C, and the evidence that shows that people systematically pick answers like B and C result in better movement performance and movement quality. And so for everyone listening, they got to try on what over 23 years of evidence, but any practical minded person just trying to do things and move to get better would already know without any research paper in hand. And what that shows us, Dan, is something very, very simple. What we think while we move matters. And great coaches by chance or choice inevitably get to vocabulary that make learning how to move easier. So we've got to develop a vocabulary which is going to help them move faster. But how how, how does it help necessarily move uh, more skillfully? Because so moving faster, obviously, there's an urge to get away. We have a, a fight or flight inbuilt in our bodies. Um, and if I was, say, playing cricket, then if the ball's coming at my head, I would tend to duck out the way or try and hit the ball with the bat. But there are other movements which aren't necessarily uh, built on a fear of failure. Or am I going down the okay. wrong track? You are going down the right track. And we must be uh, simpatico because I was just going to talk about cricket. And as anyone who can hear my accent knows, I know nothing about cricket. But here we go. Right. We're on the knife. So let me give it a give it a chance here. So you're asking now about skill and skill execution. So sprinting's pretty easy. It's like, hey, how can I just energize you to go harder, to run faster? Mm -hmm. I totally get that. But let's say someone, especially in a highly skilled maneuver like bowling in cricket, is trying to make a very, very finite change. Yes, it's about speed and power, but it's also about control. So let's say, for example, and I could also be thinking of a pitcher in baseball, right? Mm -hmm. The same cue would, would, would apply here. Imagine I'm trying to straighten them up, okay? For whatever reason, let's say they're arcing to the left or to the right, and we really want to give them a stronger sense of going straight down the mound, right, or straight forward. And so one thing I might say to a person is, hey, when you go to pitch or when you go to do you know, your next bowl, I want you to imagine you're in a hallway, not the hallway of the hotel you now stay in at the Grand Plaza, which is three feet wide, plenty of room. No, I'm talking about when you were 19, club cricket and you literally were walking down the most narrow hallway of the Podink hotel you had to stay out in the country i want you to bowl down that hallway and do not hit the walls do not hit the walls and so what we're doing there kind of like the beat the bite mm. we're using the mind's capacity for visualization we're using the mind's capacity for imagination and we're encouraging them to move such as act as if act as if you are bowling down a hallway. And what we find is our ability to act as if, to mirror and bring it to life is profound. And Dan, just take it back to any listener that has children. When children, especially if they're pre-verbal, what do they do? They mirror mom and dad, sister and brother, right? Dog and cat. They act as if they are something else. And it's the way we literally absorb the world. So as we start to work then with kids and adults who are learning to move, we can take these real life imagined, but at one point experienced, right, realities, run them through the mental simulator that is our imagination and act as if. Because if I was literally bowling down a hallway, I'd have to keep it straight. Same goes if I imagine it. And again, I won't bore you, but is there evidence to, pack, to, to back up what we already know practically? 100%. So that's one way we use a cue to support technical change and different cues apply to different aspects of the movement, but we can get full coverage, whether it's technique or it's power output. 
so and everything in between. So we got this. I got. Uh, so we got the corridors. So it's in the imagination. So you wouldn't actually get somebody to. You wouldn't put up, a, say, a series of poles, or say, get them to stand against a wall and put some pole in there to to help them do that. It's all about the imagination. So Dan, you're an avid golfer, and I'm sure, given what you've told me about your golfing, you've played with all the gizmos and gadgets available to you on the driving range and the course. Okay, and many other sports do that as well. What you're talking about is called a constraint. You literally use some kind of barrier or physical limitation to encourage one pattern of movement, one direction of movement over another. Absolutely, there's a whole body of research that shows that that is a great way to learn a skill. It's called a constraint-led approach. But the reality is when you're on that golf course, Dan, or when that pitcher is on the mound, or when that bowler has the batsman or bats person in front of them, we do not have those constraints. We don't have the barrier, the wall, the cone, the gizmo, or the gadget. And so while those are efficacious, they work and they're great, inevitably it's the province of the mind. It's our capacity to bring that to life holistically. Okay, okay. so so matters. yeah, so we've got the, the mind. So are we saying that to help, we could put these constraints in place to yes, help the mind certainly. so to reduce the amount of noise that is going yeah. on? And then then obviously, as we take the constraints away, we uh, we take the scaffolding away, the, the player is able to focus still on the Hold mind. Hold on to it. Yeah. Yes. So Ex- what, so what, exactly. So what, when, the, when the player is actually playing... Uh, they're not actually running around thinking I've got a rattlesnake, I'm being chased by a rattlesnake, or I'm going down a corridor. They're just playing naturally, or is these are these thoughts coming into their mind as they are uh, playing the game or the sport? So it's it's a yes. <laughs> In that, imagine now if I am bowling or I'm sprinting, there's nothing stopping me from setting a mental intention. And then driving the entire movement through that intention. Because those are start-stop sports, they can get away with those cues and actually use them as a mental start, if you will. However, over time, just like a physical constraint, as you've outlined, can make a change, a mental constraint, which is what we're doing here with a mental analogy or visualization, it also makes a change. Inevitably, that change becomes so embedded in the body That yes, just as I peel off the banana and can throw away the skin and I no longer need the skin, inevitably my mind can further reduce that cognitive noise and pollution and can do away with the cue altogether. But in many cases, those cues are anchors. They're stabilizing mental forces in the storm that is the mind, especially in competition. Mm. And so what I try to do based on what the skill is and based on what the sport is, is provide cues that they can go into battle with cues that they can use when they're moving, even in competition. So uh, it's interesting you said about the storm, because obviously uh, once the once the the whistle goes and everything's happening, you're under a lot of stress and anxiety. Yes. I mean, this is this is typical. You, you you want it. This is why sport is fantastic and it energizes you in a different way. How can we sort of calm the the parts of the storm we don't need and focus on the cues that we do need? See, that's, that's the beauty of this. If you don't focus on something, Dan, you can become distracted by anything. And so for me, what we do is when we look at training, whether it's you on the golf course or it's me on the rugby pitch, we oftentimes are remarkably skilled in designing a program. Hey, I'm going to take this many shots. 
right from this part of the course. I'm going to work on these scenarios. Same thing in rugby. But rarely, rarely are we building, you use the word, and I love this word, the mental scaffolding systematically from one session to the next that sits alongside and inside the mind of the person doing the drill. And so what we try to do is make sure we're building those mental cues, those mental frames, which is a constant evolving process through the physical work, through the physical drills. So it's one and the same. They're practicing the way their mindset needs to be when they move such that it is normative when they get into competition. So normative, normative meaning? Meaning normal. It becomes natural. It becomes second practice, habitual, ritual, whatever it gets in and people like. So sometimes I've heard the expression internal cues and external cues or internal focus and external focus. How how does that fit into this? And is it important that we know the difference? It's important that you feel the difference. And what's interesting here, Dan, is you felt the difference when I gave you those three cues at your bet in Vegas. Because the first cue that I gave you was an internal cue. The second cue was an external cue. And the third cue was a figurative external cue, an analogy, right? Imagine there's a rattlesnake. It's outside of you, but it's not literal. So a figurative external cue. And that's why most people pick B or C, naturally. So we gravitate towards focusing on the movements we perform in terms of the environment we're in. When I'm running, I'm not just running in space. I'm running in terms of the track. Right. When I'm hitting something, I'm hitting in terms of the thing I'm holding and the thing I'm trying to hit, in your case, a golf ball. And so what an internal cue does is it says, hey, imagine that you're just going to think about the joints moving or the muscles activating, right, rather than thinking about what they're activating in terms of. And so literally it's either you think about your body while you move your body or you think about what your body tries to do. So imagine someone listening to this who notices they're thirsty. And there's a cup of water in front of them. They don't say, hey, shoulder, give me four degrees of a flexion, elbow extend out, fingers open up. Yeah, bring it home, boys. That's not how we operate. We operate in terms of the gas pedal, not the foot, right? We operate in terms of the, the road, not thinking about the glass between me and the road or the body between right what's moving the car and ultimately the car itself. And so we don't naturally think about our body while we move it. Yet that's how so many coaches coach. Now, for any coach listening to this, Dan, they're immediately saying, are you saying we can't talk about the body? No, that's not what I'm saying. We have to talk about the body. We have to explain what the body needs to do. But ultimately, once I've explained what I want your body to do, then I have to give you the cue to know how to do it. So internal cues explain what to do. Hey, put your arm here. Fantastic. External cues tell you how to do it. Throw it down the hallway. So you, so you need to know what it looks like. Exactly. And then you need, so uh, let's go back to the, uh, maybe the sprinter or the uh, the pitcher or the, or the rugby player. Now you, they're going to have, how many cues can they hold in their head when they're trying to do something? Because obviously uh, you're going to not be just in, in rugby, you're going to have uh, defenders in front of you. Uh, so you're, you're looking at, you're thinking about your support players, you're thinking about passing the ball. What do I need to do? Am I flicking through my Rolodex of cues to uh, use the right one at the right time? A uh, rattlesnake now, uh, throw throw the throw the, my fingers to the target now, uh, something now, something now. Is that what you're doing? So there's there's a lot of layers to this, but let's make let's let's answer your first question. How many? Dan, you and I both know we've all sat at a light. It's red. 
and we look down at our phone briefly. We shouldn't do this. No one's advocating for it. I've never done it. Uh, but let's say theoretically you have. And in your mind, as you're looking down at that phone to make that quick little text, oh, I will know when to go. I will know when the car in front of me moves. And you look up, right? The honking's behind you, the fear of everything. And the car in front of you is 100 meters down the road before you even noticed it. Despite your best intention to focus on your phone, and that car in front of you, you can't do it. So to answer your question, we can only place our attention on one thing explicitly at a time. And so when I'm learning a skill or executing a skill in competition, it doesn't matter whether or not I try, whether or not I think I'm doing multiple things, I'm only ever doing one thing at a time, okay? And so when I cue, I wanna respect that fact. And I only provide one focus at a time when we are training a skill. Now, you're asking a very different question around what they do in competition. Well, it, it's different if I, it's a discrete sport like bowling, where every single time I get to set up, I get to ritualize a routine, and then I throw the ball. In that case, they very much so can have a mental routine. They mechanize, repeat, recycle, and evolve. Beautiful. If I'm a rugby player, no, I'm likely not going to have the rattlesnake or the corridor in my mind in real time. In those cases, we're using the cues to embed the physical changes such that they'd be going below the explicit mind. They're just automatic. So in that case, the cue is literally scaffolding to make a change. However, though, Dan, if I get an open field break and all of a sudden I have nothing but green pasture in front of me, yeah, I might get that sense of, right. hey, fly to the sky, drive off the ground, beat the bite. I might have that cue flash in even at a low subconscious level, but that's only because it becomes very clear on one task focus. So there's no black and white answer. It's an evolution, but the cueing still stays the same in terms of driving both processes forward. Brilliant. Well, I'm going to finish there because we've focused on one thing and uh, we've beaten bites. Uh, we've uh, <laughs> run fast. Uh, you've made me out to feel like I could play golf uh, a little bit better, <laughs> uh, even when the weather gets uh, uh, improves. So uh, Nick's primary role is to oversee the delivery and development of strength and conditioning and sports science across all the national teams in in Ireland. So that includes the men's, women's, 15, sevens, Leinster, Munster, Connacht and Ulster. Before working for Irish rugby, Nick uh, did many things, but he was director of education training systems for E. XOS, formerly Athletes Performance, located in Phoenix, and he completed his PhD through Rocky Mountain University of Health Professions with a dissertation focusing, focusing on motor skill learning and sprinting. We've worked very hard to come up with uh, his philosophy, and I think you probably uh, can sense it from the chat we just had, pursuit of being engaged utterly in the moment, which uh, there was no doubt that that was happening. So if you want to uh, contact him, you can contact email info at the language of coaching.com or Instagram, which is at Nick, Nick Winkleman. Uh, and you spell, spell Winkle uh, W-I-N-K-E-L. Uh, just remind you that the book, The Language of Coaching, The Art and Science of Teaching Movement, to give you some more insights. So we're going to finish with some uh, quick fire questions. Uh, Nick, how old are you? I am 39. Uh, what coaching book is by your bedside? There are many coaching books by my bedside, but I think the one is The Inner Game of Tennis for the, uh, the spirit of the conversation we've had today. All right. Okay. A very famous uh, book. Which coach teacher are you loving at the moment? 
I suppose you've got to say uh, Andy Carroll because he might be listening in. But uh... well, I, I, I'd have, I'd have to say that that you're right. Faz is an inspirational character in all of our lives right now, and in, in terms of a coach's coach, he's right up there. So at the present moment, no doubt it's Faz. Yeah, and uh, having met him and interviewed him, he is very impressive person to be with and when i say impressive uh you don't feel uh that you are giving him any problems by being with him he just gives you all your attention right which team sport subject would you love to coach at the moment for me i'm I'm, i would i would love to have 100 meter sprinters i know it's not a team sport but that's the one thing if i could go back Uh, but i am I am, Dan, coaching both my daughter or assisted coaching my daughter's basketball team and Brave Soul is allowing me to coach my son's football team. And yes, that is soccer for my American friends and proper (laughs) football for you across the water. All right. Okay. So that would be an interesting conversation on what you're saying to them (laughs) Uh, for another time, maybe. Who's inspired you most? Oh, gosh. So many people have inspired me, but I, I think I oftentimes go back to my grandfather, rest his soul, who taught me things at the time I could not appreciate, but I continue to learn from it uh, every day. And what would you tell your 20-year-old self to do more of? Be patient and keep going. Okay. Nick, that's been brilliant. I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much for your time. Likewise, Dan. Best of luck. Cheers.